Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised. We're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, and this is Epi 120, maybe, probably. Hope so. I think so. Cool. Yes, it is. One, it's 120. We have something that we want to add to polls or like something that's a little in addition to polls. But I got to admit that we are down bad today. Did we procrastinate? Yeah. Yeah. Did, or were we organized today? No. No. But we have been living well and living fit. And maybe that's why we're down bad. Yeah. It's going to take a couple weeks. It's just not we're not used to it. Our bodies are in shock. Yeah. So I got a text, guys. When was that? A couple days ago? It from was Taylor? Sunday. Sunday. That was like, hey, I'm going to do a mild 75. But for how many? days for 22 but for 22 days you in and i'm like oh, what are the fuck. details i said send me the deets but if it involves an ice bath fuck no yeah i said <laughs> if it involves an ice bath then i'm out because i just can't get behind the trend but hear me out so she sends me these full details you can tell them yeah so basically it's that for 22 days and the reason we did 22 is because it was just leading into february it's kind of like doing dry january you don't pick a diet you just eat the way that you need to eat for your body mine right now i need a lot of nutrition so i'm working on eating nutritious whole meals and then other than that like 75 hard you do two 45 minute workouts a day and one has to be outside so we're doing one 45 minute workout for six days a week i don't know if that's what i typed but that's what it's turned into i think so <laughs> that's what it's turned i into. didn't do a workout today i haven't and i won't be doing one today me neither <laughs> my my workout today was Let's standing up on my desk. monday well we'll start going hard on the workouts on monday, monday. Okay. that sounds good I, i'd even do it on the weekend because i don't mind working out on the weekend me neither. either it's honestly during the week that it's the hardest for me oh you read 10 pages of any book and in 75 hard it has to be like a non-fiction or self-help book i said 10 pages of any book because I really want to finish Wrong Place, Wrong Time that is in Reese's Book Club that Seth actually recommended to us. And I actually started reading it on the plane to LA and on the way back from LA. And I totally forgot about it. And I found it the other day. And so I, I am reading that right now. And that's gonna be the hardest for me because I don't read. Yeah. 10 pages but are good. Really, I've done the a research we do, we are reading. No, we're literally reading a lot. Like our brain is being worked. Yeah, we're mentally. reading. It's just most people don't read as much as we do, I guess, because yeah. we read a lot. Yeah. But also,
also a part of this is that for me, I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock because I will work myself until 1.30 in the morning on things that don't even need to be worked on at that point. Like there's just no point it needs to be worked on that late. The only exception of me staying up past 10 to work is if there is something that has got to go out. Like tonight, I'm going to pass the 10 mark because what's new goes out tomorrow morning and we just eh, recorded it. We're not editing that. Well, I'm not editing <laughs> it, but I still have to audio edit or else it's going to sound like this for them. It's going to be really scary. Another part of mine is that, so I'm doing the 10 p.m. bedtime. I'm also not supposed to be on my phone p- past nine. I've been doing really good at that. At nine o'clock, I'm putting my phone away. Yeah, and that will eliminate it. you getting frustrated with me when I don't answer the nine o'clock face. Yeah, and that's totally fine with me. And that's, bedtime, why I, I, that's why I lined it up like that. Perfect. I, it's like, I got to put it down at nine. And I'm waking up. I said in the text message between 630 she and seven. She said 630 and seven. Because I would love to. I, am, I actually think you said six to 730. Is that what I said? Six to 730. Well, that's a better one than fucking six to se- uh, seven because you s- I'm a really good morning person yeah, like naturally I'm a morning person but because my sleep schedule has been so fucked I have not been wanting to get out of the bed until nine when I say get out of the bed till nine I mean wake up at nine and not getting out of the bed until like 9 30 and that's not that that doesn't work for me like I can't do that because I'm so lazy the entire rest of the day if I'm not productive in the morning I'm working my way to get up to seven but you can't do that shit overnight you'll literally like just go insane which unless I think you're I'm- forced to do it overnight for a job or something yeah which is for what a job. I was right like yeah. you had to do it overnight but like i can't do that right now there's no sense in me driving myself crazy to yeah. do that <laughs> so i'm right now i've been waking up at eight and getting up by, before eight thirty. i would love to be able to work on my morning routine and like getting up having enough time for coffee hair yeah. using the bathroom a morning routine is really so key to the rest of your day i know it is but i wake up i'm half asleep still yeah but like when i used to wake up super early for work i would still get myself up an hour and a half early be- oh, before i had to leave no well you don't have to do an hour and a half you could do an hour and then it just you go get your coffee you sit on your couch you watch the news you do whatever you actually have a thing of breakfast at your home whether that's a bar and then you go and while you're sitting there you can do your makeup watching the news and then go in there and curl your hair brush your teeth I guess and my first alarm is an hour prior but yeah. I don't hit that it's it's hard to do like it's something you it won't happen overnight you're gonna have to work to, like yeah. maybe if you just start waking up 15 minutes just earlier so early, and then work I up there <laughs> I stay up too late yeah and I can't yeah. can't do it I'm just on like six hours of sleep and every you're day also of my life. like a night person too I am like more not than- so much anymore I've been sleep I just fall asleep on the couch now it- it's not even that it's just that you're a lot more you productive productive at night, at night. and yeah. I'm a lot more productive in the morning yeah and we've switched roles we have now I'm productive at night and I'm awake in the morning yeah. <laughs> well you're productive I mean, because I'm doing you're work, doing yeah. things like you're up hours before me yeah the difference is is that you have to wake up and I don't like I wake up woken up well if I am not forced to be woken up early yeah. I I love waking up on my own time I do too the it natural the alarm clock best thing in the world mm-hmm. and I get about one day of doing that or two days a week yeah max then you've just got to put your natural alarm clock which is just gonna it'll take never happen month it'll take if you did it like if you worked on it a month getting yourself up 15 minutes early and then for like another month waking up at that time i bet you could and going to sleep at a good time that's the key point but the reason i actually was i didn't even tell you about this the reason i wanted to do this i was reading about cortisol levels in women in their mid-20s and how off it gets if you do not take care of your sleep schedule Mm -hmm. and everything that I was experiencing I feel like my cortisol it has to be off in some way yeah um also I haven't got a b12 shot (laughs) 
since May and I literally am deficient in B12. So that would help. And I still haven't gotten it yet. I've been telling myself, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to go, go tomorrow. tomorrow. I'm going to go tomorrow. But anyways, the main point of me doing this is to fix my sleep. I'm just so tired. Tired. Okay, wait. So I do want to tell them. So I started, yeah. I tried to live well, live fit yesterday. Started the workout, the 45 minute workout. I did the Nike things that are actually on Netflix and they're really nice. It's like back to basics. And I was like sweating and I had Aaron do them with me. He, I cannot I, work out with the boys. I don't know. Well, at first, I was like, will you shut up? Yeah. Because, like, he, not not mocking me by any means, just, like, it's commenting. Like, yeah. your your hips are outlined. Like, just, like, yeah, like, straighten up your knees. You need to spread that your legs shit. out. I'm like, I'm going to literally sucker punch and, you. And, like, I would, like, ask questions. I'm like, are you out of breath yet? I'm like, I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm like, fuck off. Um, but literally, anyway, you're done. <laughs> so we worked out. We did. He ended up being really good at the end. Like, he was, like, understanding, like, where I wanted to be. Yeah. I was, like, full focus. I was, like, another one. Like, I was being crazy. But I was sweating. And I yeah. was like, you know what? I'm just going to try the cold shower thing, whatever it I is. I love a cold shower. Not an ice bath, just like a cold shower. So I turned it all the way to cold. I jumped in and it knocked the wind out of me. <laughs> I couldn't breathe. I was like, <gasps> like oh trying God. to like get my breaths like under a wrap and I couldn't do it. And I yeah. was like, I don't know how people are doing this every day. Like I get like once I did get it together I yeah was, i was like oh it's not that bad but at that point like i'm looking at my body i'm like i'm red like i'm not i mean i have such yeah. sensitive skin it will stay there for hours so. yeah i normally do like my regular shower on like medium heat and because yeah. i end all of my showers in a cold flush for a minute and basically i do my showers per usual and then towards the end i start knocking it lower and lower and lower and oh, then, i'll just do a quick yeah no i can't do that that sends my body in a full fucking shock and i like what's it nice i'm usually it, sweating in the shower yeah but when your hair like has that warm water in it it like eases you into it so well because the warm water goes over you first and then the cold water hits you mm -hmm. and you can sit in that for two full minutes and be totally fine yeah i've tried to get logan to do the cold shower before and i thought he was going to literally tear down the entire shower curtain. <laughs> shower curtain and all of the shelves that are in there he was terrified for his fucking life like no, it, life. It, i thought I, I couldn't breathe and i was like i'm locked in here because <laughs> i've been having to lock the door i never do that i usually like to shower with my door open i know yeah. that sounds crazy but i, I like too. to be able to like hear well, first off i let the air go out yes yeah also and but i've been having to lock it because aaron and ollie are like two toddlers the constantly worst. interrupting me when i'm in the bath or when i'm taking a shower or even when i'm on the toilet guys like it is there's no boundaries no here boundaries. and it's like i'm like i need space like it's like i'm a mother of two yep and it'll never it never gets better so i've been having to lock the door and either way i still get knock 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 i'm like what or i get ah, ah, no outside the door you hear the footsteps coming and you're like fuck oh yeah and he also does this thing now that he like tries to scare me no i'm like this is not the time of the place get out yeah it was anyway but have you been enjoying i mean it's been horrific because well, i've been i've been kind of sick so yeah. not really i haven't been enjoying it but. yeah morgan's been sick for like the last two days i've just been like mentally down bad the last yeah. few days but we're gonna we're it's gonna work out for us i'm sure our body's detoxing also yeah probably because we are taking a little bit better care yeah. of her poor girl. and i don't know if i'm sick or just hurting I I got Millie rocked at the movie theater. Patreon <laughs> knows all about it. Oh God, she but got Millie. Don't, all I have to say is, do not watch a 40x movie, especially a three and a half hour Avatar movie, because it will ruin your life. You'll fight, be fighting for your life. The video she sent me was worse than the curtains showing me the curtains earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> literally, <laughs> so Aaron's funny. head flying around. Are we all buckled in? No, dude. Uh, you would have. I would have. 
thought y'all were gonna fly out like no, i thought you had crazy. like a harness on like no, there's no bubble. it's not flipping you upside down i never would have known yeah exactly <laughs> i never would have known it looked like it looked like a ride at disney World. i hated it but also i loved it at the end i was like that was actually really cool and then did you love it the next morning with the pressure headache no i did or the tension headache the tension headache and aaron's low back pain i mean anyway. if aaron's messed up then it was rough it was rough guys. it was rough okay morgan hit him with it if you're driving throw that shit on cruise control if you got a glass pour that shit up and Let's get creepy. Okay, Taylor, what do you have for us today? Okay, Taylor, what do you have for us today? Part two? What? Part two. Okay, today we're doing part two of the pizza collar bomb case or major case 203. And I'm going to give us a little bit of a recap from where we left off, but I have seen all of y'all's comments being like, I couldn't wait. I had to go watch the documentary. And I'm kind of glad that you did because this is just one of those cases that you've got to hear multiple times to understand the chaotic nature of this shit. I already said this in part one. The first time I tried to watch Evil Genius, I literally couldn't because I was like, this is too slow. It's too much. I can't be a part of it. Now I couldn't peel my eyes away from the screen i was so obsessed with watching so just a little recap from where we left off on part one if you haven't listened to part one already you need to go back and listen to it because i'm i'm just giving you this recap and it's not as much detail as you need to understand what's going on august 28th 2003 46 year old pizza delivery man for mama mia's pizzeria brian wells walks into a pnc bank in erie pennsylvania with a shotgun disguised as a cane and a collar bomb around his neck he hands the teller a note demanding $250,000. Police apprehend him outside of the bank in the street near the Eyeglass World, which is on the other side of where the bank is. He is detained and isolated while waiting for bomb squad to arrive and, and dismantle the bomb that's around his neck. He tells officers from the Pennsylvania State Police that he was making a routine delivery to three African-American males at a TV transmission tower when they forced the collar bomb on his neck. Just three or so days after Brian's death, one of his closest friends and fellow delivery drivers for Mamma Mia's, Robert Thomas Panetti, was found dead in his home from an apparent overdose, which they don't know if it was intentional or accidental. Heading this investigation was the FBI, and they were being assisted by the ATF because an explosive was involved and Penn State Police. Pretty, not Penn State Police, uh, Pennsylvania Pennsylvania. State (laughs) Police. I shortened that, but then I was like, shit, that's a college. Pretty much this case was coming down to a standstill with three to four main theories as to what possibly could have happened. Number one, that Brian Wells came up with this entire scheme on his own, which seemed unlikely because why would he use a real bomb if that was the case? Number two, Brian and Robert Panetti made this scheme together for gambling money with no true belief that the bomb would have actually have enough time to detonate. But again, why would you use a live explosive and not be more frantic about it when it's about to explode? And then theories three slash four is Brian is telling the truth and he really was a hostage. If this was the case, we are now forced to consider what if Robert, his close friend and co-worker that knew Brian's work schedule, knew that he would be making that delivery and knew that Brian had a love for scavenger hunts, set Brian up. But why would he do this? Did Brian owe Robert any money? Would Robert even be capable of doing this? All of that changed three weeks after Brian's death on September 21st, 2003, when a call came in to 911. It was a man and he told the operator that in the garage of a house that was located at 8645 Peach Street, 
there was a frozen body. Also at this home, the man claimed that there was a woman that they needed to pick up in question. At first, the man was pretty adamant about not wanting to give his name or identity or whose house this was, but relatively quickly, he gave in, telling the operators that it was actually his home where they would find the dead body. And then he eventually gave his name and the name of the woman that would be at the home that police needed to apprehend in question. His name was Bill Rothstein and the woman was Marjorie Deal Armstrong. All in all, Bill told police that Marjorie had shot and killed her boyfriend, 45-year-old James Roden, on August 13th, which was six weeks prior to them getting this call. If we know anything about Marjorie's, we know that that is very, like, plausible. Right. And the Brian Wells incident happened on the 28th. So it was basically like the three week mark on either side. Basically, Marjorie forced Bill to help her dispose of the body, telling him to put it in a either ice shredder or ice breaker or wood chipper. There's different reports on this. To buy himself time, Bill actually took James's body and put it in his freezer at his home, which happened to be right beside the entrance to the TV transmission tower where Brian Wells claimed that he was attacked and the caller bomb was forced onto him and police knew bill as he had been interviewed by the fbi and his property was actually searched early in the color bomb investigation so going back to bill's involvement in hiding james roden's body he said that he did not want to dispose of him in the wood tripper and admitted that calling police was actually his plan b so trigger warning for this next part Plan A was actually that he was going to commit suicide. And to prove this to investigators, he actually told them where they could find his suicide letter that he wrote as along with a confession letter. So investigators were searching his home and located it and brought it in. They were analyzing it when one sentence, which was actually the first sentence, according to some reports that I was reading this past week, caught their attention. Quote, this has nothing to do with the Brian Wells case. Sounds like it has everything to do with the Brian Wells case. <laughs> and this changed everything because if it had nothing to do with the Brian Wells case, and if you didn't know anything about Brian or this case, when you were interviewed with the FBI, as you stated the first time, why even bring it up in a confession letter right. slash suicide note? Bill said that it was because he knew the investigation or I'm sorry, the investigationers. Hello. <laughs> the investigationers. The investigators were so desperate to solve the Wells case slash the collar bomb case that they would get tunnel vision on his suicide in addition to James Roden's death and just go off track. I so, kind of get it. Right. And he said he did this as like a favor. You know, I just didn't want you to waste your time. And I'm sure we all know by now that it was anything but a waste of time. So now that we are back on the same page, I want to do a little bit of a dive into Bill Rothstein and Marjorie Deal Armstrong. William Bill Rothstein was born on January 17th, 1944. He was, at the time of all this going down, a 59-year-old handyman that lived in the area area his entire life. In fact, the home where James Roden's body was found and where he lived was actually his childhood home. Bill was a teacher at the local high school for like woodshop or introductory to mechanics. He was a very tall man. Literally, he was six foot six. Whoa. And he only strictly wore overalls. Okay. All right, man. He never had been married, but he was twice engaged to Marjorie Deal Armstrong between like the 60s and the 70s at some point. Just like didn't want to go through with it. Right. And though okay. it didn't work out between the two, they still remained friends and neighbors. Bill was an extremely intelligent man, and he knew that and made sure that everyone else also knew that about him. He was actually an engineer and he spoke multiple languages, all of which he had mastered fluently. Wow. I mean, that 
smart that's intelligence okay his brain worked very different from others and with geniuses like bill we typically see this come out in different ways some may struggle in social settings and not be able to have close relationships with other people but bill wasn't like this he was a very social person and was considered to be eccentric and some may suffer from severe ocd in their homes or just in their overall lives but again bill wasn't like this instead he was actually a hoarder so much so that investigators had to move hundreds of items out to just get near the freezer where James was found. Oh, okay. Like He's that bad of a hoarder. Could be on hoarders. Yeah, okay. it was bad. Like if you watch the documentary or if you haven't watched it, just go watch the scene. I think it's in episode two. It might even be in episode one. It's one of the earlier ones. But like them going through the house was crazy. After finding the body and Bill's full confession about what had happened, Marjorie Deal Armstrong was obviously arrested and taken into custody. And Bill, in exchange for immunity, agreed to testify against her in court. But when they brought Marjorie in, all she could do was just scream about her hatred for Bill and how manipulative and intelligent and narcissistic he was, even calling him a sociopath, which is actually something that a lot of people end up calling Bill after everything. As for Marjorie, she was born on February 26, 1949. Growing up, she was a beautiful girl and she was considered to be one of the most intelligent people to ever go through her school. Two geniuses. Yep. Her grades were always above average and she was actually the valedictorian of her high school. She went on to Mercyhurst College, I think is what Mercyhurst, it is. Mercyhurst, yeah. Mercyhurst. That's a Mercyhurst. Mercyhurst. College where she majored in sociology and social work, meaning she graduated with two degrees from undergrad in four years, after which she began working on her master's in education as her goal was to follow in her mother's footsteps and become a wonderful teacher. Her mother was a music teacher and Marjorie was considered to be a musical prodigy her entire life. She could play that any instrument. That also shows intelligence level. Exactly. Again, like if you can play instruments multiple any type of arts language mm -hmm. music yeah that is like ex like intelligence extreme intelligence over like science and mathematics oh like yeah language and arts and things that are like natural yeah it's a different type of learning you mm -hmm. know what i mean like you have to learn very different mm -hmm. than how you learn in school which is why there's school for regular and then there's art school schools. for the arts yeah. exactly but marjorie's entire life she really struggled with mental illness it was kind of like an uphill battle but little at a time and while working on her masters it kind of just all caught up to her in a massive landslide like i said she was extremely intelligent and educated so she knew something was off with her and so she went searching for help on her own accord she began seeing a psychiatrist and over the years she was diagnosed with schizophrenia paranoia personality disorder narcissism mania and severe bipolar disorder but she also suffered from the inability to stop her natural rapid fire speech if you look at any interviews or listen if you watch evil genius you can tell that from the very first time she's interviewed on there it's like word vomiting but as a result of her many mental illnesses and her intelligence being mixed with recreational drug use it just continued to get worse and more uncontrollable over the years she tended to overcomplicate things and think that she was the smartest person in the room according to those who had known her her entire life she was also a chronic bragger 
Because of this, Marjorie struggled in romantic relationships, all of which that were considered to be extremely toxic. But there are no more partners of Marjorie's alive today to even tell their story about being in a relationship with her, other than Bill Rothstein, of course. As many of them had died under odd circumstances or they were murdered. Oh, shit. And the first one being a man named Robert Thomas. Both Robert and Marjorie struggled with their mental health and recreational drug use to try and just find some peace. Everyone around them knew that their relationship was horrifically toxic and abusive on both ends. They would have violent and volatile fights until one day their fights ended with Marjorie shooting Robert six times in the chest. The police were called and Marjorie was obviously arrested and charged with the murder of Robert. However, she was acquitted after testifying that it was her acting in self-defense and she had the injuries to prove that he was abusive towards her. So she was freed. Months later, Marjorie fell in love with a man named Richard Armstrong and the two married like literally days or weeks later. It was a very quick turnaround. There's not much known about them meeting or their relationship as a whole because just weeks or months after their marriage and right after her trial had ended, Richard was rushed to the hospital after suffering from a severe head hemorrhage after what Marjorie called a nasty fall that ended with him landing on the coffee table. Oh. At the hospital, Richard had succumbed to his injuries and died. Obviously, this looked beyond weird to everyone who knew about Marjorie's last right. partner, Robert. It's two for two here. Right. Despite this, there was no autopsy ever performed, and Richard's death was never even investigated. Oh, wow. Also, she was with another man at one point who actually, trigger warning, committed suicide by hanging himself not long after being, I think, moving in with her. Wow. Like I said, Bill and Marjorie had dated and even been engaged on two separate occasions. They were actually pretty good company for each other because of how intelligent they both were, which um, also made them toxic together. But they, it's like they finally found their equal or someone that they can have equal conversation with, with the amount of intelligence shared between the two. But let's go back to the sentence from the letter that Bill wrote and the conversation we ended the last part slash the recap on this case. Quote, this has nothing to do with the Brian Wells case, end quote. Sounds like it has everything to do with the Brian Wells case. <laughs> and like I said, his his explanation was like, I just didn't want you guys wasting your time because yeah, I know you're desperate. Like, you're so desperate. I just would hate to do that to you. I would hate for you not to catch the real killer. Exactly. And like we said, the FBI basically believed him and agreed that though there were a lot of odd circumstances, there were really no solid connections between Brian Wells and Bill and or Marjorie. But the state police disagreed. They knew all of these people just a little too well these people were all incredibly intelligent and though some could not really believe that bill would be capable of killing someone in cold blood there was no such thing as a coincidence with bill is what they knew for sure so let's talk these odd coincidences or coincidences from where that tv tower gravel lot that investigators found signs of a struggle between brian wells and his attackers to bill rothstein's house is actually only a five minute walk you're kidding <laughs> and that's like if i'm looking at his house on the left side well if we're looking on the right side of bill rothstein's home just a half mile down peach street is where the shell gas station is where that pay phone call was made to mama mia's pizzeria for the delivery <laughs> 
that Brian Wells delivered full, at that TV. Full triangle there. Right. Like it's literally a straight line, not even fucking triangle. It's yeah. a straight line. Like one, two, three, you did it. You know ABC. what I mean? It's just, it's just too much, too much of a coincidence. Yeah. This Shell gas station was actually a part of Bill Rothstein's weekly, if not daily routine. He would drive to the gas station, go inside, buy the newspaper and cookies, return to his car and sit there reading the newspaper and eating his cookies. The manager that was actually interviewed told investigators that Bill often used their pay phone to make calls during these visits that they called his brunches and i'm like your brunches it's pretty iconic it's, brunch it's me and the casey's worker he's like oh you're here again i'm like hey, hey what's going on he's gatorade like, blue squirty top thank yes, you yes please and thank you 20 on pump five <laughs> <laughs> now granted this is all circumstantial evidence nothing that would hold up in court of course and definitely nothing that can officially connect bill rosting to the death of brian wells and the pnc bank robbery but if we were going to try and definitively connect bill rosting to brian wells what would investigators need some sort of solid connection to the collar bomb and or the shotgun cane itself d n a DNA also but <laughs> like in the Atlanta bombings which I made this comparison in the first one you know that the easiest way to find out where a bomb came from is to track down the things that were made to build it right especially one that is homemade like this like this was made with home at home power tools but he's a hoarder <laughs> but he's a hoarder so good luck everybody before we go into this let's refer back to that FBI profile of the mastermind that was behind the collar bombing and compare it to Bill Rothstein Number one, this person had some sort of experience with explosives. Now, we have no idea thus far if Bill had any experience with explosives, but he's so intelligent, I wouldn't put it past him. Right. Number two, they likely were extremely manipulative and narcissistic. Well, we do know that Bill was most likely narcissistic, and according to Marjorie, he was all of the above. They had some sort of connection to Brian Wells, and they knew how people's minds work. Though we do not know of any connection between Bill and Brian in any way, shape, or form, we do know that Bill was extremely intelligent and manipulative so he likely would be able to figure out how people's brain works they are frugal a pack rat check 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 check. this one's huge a handyman familiar with working with wood and metal this is important because it's not typically that someone can be good with both wood and metal and that this bomb was made with all metal, whereas the homemade cane shotgun was with both wood and metal. Check, 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 check. Yeah. 100%. Wow. He's literally a handyman. They may collect or be overly interested in weapons of war. We don't know for sure if this is what he collected, but he was a hoarder, so we can't Probably. put that right. past him. They're collectors of everything. Next, they are patient, secretive, and deceptive. We don't know enough about Bill to assume this, but many people claim that he was all of the above. He's also a teacher, so patience, the ability to be secretive about right. things. I think so. And I think he's very deceptive. I mean, he calls in, hey, this girl's lady's got a body. She drugged me into it. I'm right. Just- I was S-word and scared. then... Right. I left a note that says it's not connected to Brian Wells. Exactly. That's very deceptive. <laughs> the next one is, is that they are proud and controlling. Therefore, they have ma- likely made similar devices and shown them off to others, specifically concerning the shotgun cane. Need for control, very likely with Bill's life, that why he's probably never been married, never had really close, intimate love relationships. Right. And proud yeah he's very prideful i mean the first thing that he said to the investigators when he sat down with them this is the quote that everybody associates with bill is i'm going to start off by telling you that i'm the smartest person in this room oh that's what he said mm, period and investigators were like 
okay my guy they're like i don't doubt you but we gotta talk to you all right and the final and the most important part of this profile is that they have a hidden violent nature again we don't know enough from what we know about Bill thus far to be able to tell you if he has a hidden violent nature. Like, how would we? This is everybody looking from the outside in. But if you, I'm going to assume, if you're willing to clean up a murder scene and put a body in your freezer, then you likely have a hidden violent nature about you. Right. So when investigators were searching through Bill's home, they clearly found a variety of things because he was a hoarder. Obviously, with him being a handyman and an engineer slash woodshop teacher, they discovered piles and piles of old machinery, power tools, welders, and much more. After looking through Rothstein's, and I'm not really sure exactly like how to put this, but I guess the best word would be portfolio of like everything that he's made in the past, what his projects have been with his students, in addition to all the items found in his garage slash shop and home, it isn't far fetch to believe that not only would Bill have had the items needed to build this collar bomb and the shotgun cane, he also had the quote, according to the NPR article about this case, mechanical know-how to do all of this, which is key. Right, yeah. But from what investigators knew from analyzing this, the letters referred to themselves as us or we, never I or me. So this was a group of people. This was the doing of a gang of some sort and thought it was possible based off of the circumstantial evidence found that Bill had the ability, tools, and intelligence to build the color bomb, but he did not have the, I don't want to say like creative know-how to be able to do the insane scavenger hunt and all the other details to this and who would have been the other two with him right and he definitely couldn't have done this alone let's just put that out there and the only other person that would be capable of doing this with him would be marjorie as she was the only other person that matched the fbi's mastermind profile she was a hoarder i'm talking even worse than bill her home was filled to the roof literally go look Go look at the videos in the pictures with clothes, papers, boxes, fast food cartons, animals, literally like thousand cats and dogs lived in there and animal shit all over this home. It was so bad that investigators actually had to wear hazmat suits when searching the home. Wow. So now let's compare her to the profile. This person has some sort of experience with explosives. No, she didn't have any experience with explosives. They were likely manipulative and narcissistic. Yes and yes, she was literally diagnosed with all of the above. They had some sort of connection to Brian Wells and they knew how people's mind works. Now, we don't know if she has any connection to Brian Wells. There's not one that's obvious at least, but we do know that she was extremely intelligent and manipulative with people. That's literally what she went to school for. Like it's one of her top interest they are frugal they're a pack rat they're a hoarder yes 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 a handyman familiar with wood and metal not marjorie but yes for bill may collect or be overly interested in weapons of war probably not they are patient secretive and deceptive she was none of the sort because of how she was proud and controlling yes very much the need for control and extremely prideful the number one profile piece being a hidden violent nature she definitely had a violent nature but it was in no way shape or form hidden Right, yeah. Right. Uh, in addition, got the history there. <laughs> she, it's literally written down on paper. In addition to all this, Marjorie's speech patterns lined up perfectly for the overly detailed letters and instructions that were found in Brian Wells' possession that set up the oh, entire yeah, scavenger hunt. That. Basically, if we were to compare Bill and Marjorie to this FBI profile separately, they don't check all of the boxes, but they check a lot of them. But when we compare them together as a team, it's a perfect match. It, it, it's beyond a perfect match, except for one single piece of this entire thing. 
there is no connection between Marjorie and Bill to Brian Wells at all, bringing this investigation once again to a standstill, especially on July 30th, 2004, when William Bill Rothstein passed away from cancer that he never told a soul about. Why? And never got treatment for. Oh, shit. In January of 2005, Marjorie pled guilty to murder in the third degree of James Roden by means of insanity slash mental illness, plus the abuse of a corpse. She claimed that her motive was Roden's, quote, ineptitude at helping her figure out who had swiped more than $130,000 from her home in Erie, Pennsylvania, according to the New York Post. She had that much in there? Yeah, she only kept cash. She like didn't trust banks. She was then sentenced to between seven and 20 years in prison to be carried out in a mental institution or just a place that she could be properly treated. But in April of that year, 2005, Marjorie told a state trooper that she actually wanted to give more information on the Wells case and asked for them to set up a meeting between her and an FBI agent. In the meeting, Marjorie said that she would not talk to them unless they transferred her from Muncie Correctional Institution to Cambridge Springs, which was like a lower security prison. And I think it was a little bit more fit for what she was needing at the time. And once they did this, she agreed to sit through a series of interviews with FBI in which she admitted to being involved. She said that Bill Rothstein had masterminded the entire plan and she had only done one thing, which was giving them the kitchen timers, pretty much all hearsay, because again, there were really no connections between Rothstein and Wells. Well, then in late 2005, so this is just months later, a witness comes forward and claims that a man named Kenneth Barnes was actually involved in the pizza collar bomb case. And this witness was actually Kenneth's brother-in-law stating that Kenneth had admitted very intimate details of the crime to him. And also there's one thing I want to add in that I just realized I didn't put in my notes. It was also around this exact same time. Investigators learned that Bill Rothstein had a roommate that had like lived with him for like five years and rented a room from him. No, it was this other guy. And he just like fell off the face of the earth and no one knows like where he went. Oh, wow. Around the same time. So Kenneth Barnes at the time was in jail and this was for unrelated drug charges. At the time that his name was brought up or at the time? At the the time that his name was brought up. And he basically was like the top crack dealer in the area. He was actually the fishing partner of Marjorie Deal Armstrong and guess who would go with them? Bill Rothstein. Because they were all neighbors. Oh, so they've probably been fishing out there with Bucky out on the lake. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's his hot spot. That would be crazy if we were like, Bucky, do you know these people? Yeah, I used to go fishing with them. Yeah, they were partners back then. It's ridiculous. Um, Again, this is all hearsay. And they were still searching for some sort of connection between all these people to Brian. But then in early 2007, a sex worker named Jessica came forward to investigators. And she told them that she knew Brian Wells very, very well, like was a long-term client of hers. And she had multiple sessions with Brian at the home of Kenneth Barnes before. So now we have the connection. Kenneth Barnes is fishing partners with Marjorie slash Bill. And Kenneth Barnes knows Brian Wells. To prove this, she actually had a voicemail that she had left for Brian about their meetup at Kenneth's home that was left behind on Brian's answering machine. What? They never found that? I guess they found it, but like it just didn't seem important at the time. And no one was coming forward to be like, well, Kenneth Barnes is involved. You know, there was also another connection made between Kenneth and Marjorie because on the day of the bombing, someone had come forward on the day of the bombing slash the death of Brian Wells and the robbery of the bank. Kenneth and Marjorie were seen driving down the wrong side of the highway 
near not one, but two of the scavenger hunt spots. I'm sorry, the wrong side. Yeah. And guess what they were driving? The blue van. The blue minivan. Blue minivan. And guess who that blue minivan belongs to? Uh, The guy. Bill Rosting. Oh. Bill Rosting's Astro van. And when you refer back to pictures from the TV tower, when they were taking a picture of the road that's right beside the, the entrance, that's right beside Bill Rothstein's house, you can see the blue Astro van parked in there and then it's gone. Oh, shit. Yeah. So then they like go back and refer to this. And the dude that saw the, the blue minivan was like, that was a fucking van that I saw. And guess who it's registered to? And guess who was driving it? Marjorie and Kenneth. So at this point, investigators have enough on Kenneth to charge him with involvement. And he actually agrees to give up more information and just fully cooperate with the police in exchange for a lesser sentence if he does. Kenneth claimed that Marjorie Deal Armstrong was actually the mastermind behind this entire operation. Oh, Marjorie. With her motive being blood money. Because she wanted Kenneth Barnes to kill her father because he was spending all of her inheritance like just blowing all their money and that Bill Rossing was in on it and helped her by building the bomb along with confirming a lot of the information that the FBI really needed to be confirmed and like brought to light that they had never released. And he was actually willing to testify in court. As this is all going on, investigators had actually already set up informant operations surrounding Marjorie. So like some of her friends that were in prison with her some of the guards like people that were going around to some of her friends like just getting some tea so she told a fellow inmate that the true reason that she had killed James Roden her boyfriend was not because he wouldn't help her search for the money that was allegedly stolen but instead because he wanted to go public about their plan for the collar bombing Oh, shit. So he was in on it, too. Yeah. But he ended up in the freezer. Yep. And that's what people assume happened to Bill's roommate at the time as well. Oh, shit. Marjorie also told FBI agents in exchange for her move to the new location that on the day of the crime, she drove Kenneth and William to this Shell gas station beside Bill's house because she needed to put some gas in her Jeep. And she said that while she was pumping gas, for some reason, Bill needed to go make a call on the payphone. But she had no idea who he called or why he needed to call right then. time at the Shell. Because she wasn't the mastermind, she claimed. It was actually all Bill Rothstein. Because he had just recently, and this is actually true, gotten into a really bad fight with all of his siblings over the home that he was living in, which was their mother's home. Bill's siblings wanted him to sell it so that they could split the money equally, which is what the house was supposed to be for. But instead, Bill was just living rent-free in it, and he had been for like nine or so years at this point. So instead of just arguing with him in typical Bill fashion, he told them that, look, I understand. No big deal. I'll, I'll throw it up on the market. So he lists the house on the market for $250,000 in 2003. That is like astronomical compared to what this house would appraise for, especially in 2003. This house was probably like three cents, like honest to God, especially with what he had done to it with his hoarding. It was in horrific condition. And he did this on purpose. He put this really high up on the market because he knew no one would buy it. It wouldn't sell. And that's what he wanted. It would buy him time. Well, how much was the ransom? That Brian Wells's note requested. 250. 250. And th- this is like something you can't argue. Like, this is not something that we can argue because it's literally listed on the market for 250,000. Wow. Then Marjorie unknowingly cooperated one of Kenneth's claims. And that was that Brian Wells was a part of this entire heist. But why? Basically, he was tricked into joining them. 
because they needed someone else as an alibi. They couldn't go do it themselves and they wouldn't be able to get the money from it. So they needed someone to be their guinea pig. They brought him in, promising him a large cut and put the bomb on him as an alibi. Like made out this whole plan. Like we'll put the whole bomb on you, but don't worry, it's going to be fake. And his motive for joining in on this with them was to get more money because he wanted a relationship with Jessica, the sex worker that actually came forward and made this connection. Now there actually is proof because Wells was publicly talking about this money heist a month before and many witnesses came forward and approved this. Kenneth Barnes was actually another person that said like, yeah, that happened. We were there. Wow. Basically, the DA then came to the conclusion that Brian Wells was their bait. And according to the locations of Bill, Marjorie, and Kenneth on that day, they were actually just across the street from the PNC bank waiting for Wells. They were going to take the money from him and then leave him for dead. But when police stepped in before they could get to him, they fled. Again, leaving him for dead. Kenneth told investigators that Brian didn't realize that the bomb was real until he was forced at gunpoint to have it put on in the gravel lot of the TV tower, which is why there were signs of a struggle. Even still, the entire time, Brian Wells was told that, look, it's not real. It's not going to go off. Like, no problem. In 2007, Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Kenneth Barnes were charged with the collar bomb case. In this release, Bill Rothstein and Brian Wells were named as co-conspirators, with Brian turning from a conspirator to an unwilling participant throughout the execution of this heist. However, Brian Wells' family firmly denies this and does not believe it. And they're like, you've already done so much to our family. Like, he's a victim here. Let's go back to the fact that investigators literally decapitated him in right. order to maintain the preservation and of the bomb. And if I was like, played like that like if i realized you're a, a real victim. bomb and i'm sitting there i would be to the police it's marjorie armstrong right it's bill rosting or whatever his and, last name is right and i would be like name dropping like this is what happened they lied to me like mm -hmm. if i'm no a mere seconds from death right and they told him like yeah he didn't it, do it that. looks real it beeps it beeps but it's not real so he never thought it was going off so he just thought he was gonna get like arrested and then the, it would be this like goose chase of trying to figure out who did this to him yeah so that's probably why he didn't come forward with it and before he knew it it detonated. So his family firmly stands that he is a victim of this. And I, I, I count him as a victim also. I like, I don't, I think that he truly was the guinea pig. Yeah. He was the bait. I mean, you're talking about two very intelligent Extremely people intelligent that people. could manipulate you. Right. And that's exactly what they did. Exactly. And then played him. In 2008, Kenneth Barnes was sentenced for conspiracy to commit armed robbery and sentenced to 45 years in prison, but it was reduced to a 20-year sentence for his cooperation. In early 2011, Marjorie was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years, but on April 4th, 2017, Marjorie Deal Armstrong died of natural causes as a result of cancer. Wow. That is the case. And guys, like when I, so when I tell you that there is so much more that you could, you know, learn about this case, there's so many moving parts to this. I mean, obviously it took, I mean, however many years for them to start getting details on actually what had happened. Right. There's so much on this case. I mean, the best way to get all this information is watching Evil Genius. It's it's good. It's really good. It's very detailed. And I know it's like hard to watch at first because it's just, it seems so slow if you don't know the case. But now that we all know it, you have to go watch it. Yeah, it was really good. You, you have did to a really good it. job, too. Thank you. I like that. I'm done with the two-parters for a while, guys. The very seal to this, 
and then before that was Phoebe Hanschuk. Like those are all me getting like beyond obsessed with cases. Yeah. And I do always get obsessed with cases, but like for me to do all of that, like intense research to make it to where I don't, it's, li- I don't mind two parters though. I don't mind. But y'all are impatient. <laughs> but y'all are impatient, and also I feel bad doing two parters, especially with a week separate. Like yeah. that's rough. It's okay if you're binging and it's already out, but like. If you're listening in current time, that's miserable, and I'm really sorry. Yeah. So okay. I'll take a break for a bit. Alrighty. What do you have for us today, Morgan? Oh yeah, today Morgan, what do you have I for am us today? talking about a haunted house. I'm so excited. And it is called the Belair. I keep saying Belair, but it's Bel Air House. Is it? How's it spelled? Bel Air. Oh, okay. I thought you said like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. V. I was getting a V like, out of that. In West Philadelphia, born, born and raised. raised. Anyway. Along the banks of the Ohio River in Bel Air, Ohio, sits a house full of ghosts, demons, and maybe even portals. Okay. For those that know the area, yes, I'm talking Bel Air, Ohio, next to Wheeling, like if you're from where I'm from. In 1847, this house was built by Jacob Hetherington and his wife, Eliza. But this area where they picked to build their house was nothing short of an area with tragic history. Oh, no. The founder of the town of Bel Air was a man named Jacob Davis, and the Davis family was extremely wealthy, owning lots of farmland and almost all of the Ohio River Valley. He was a successful businessman who settled in a town that he would later grow and name Bel Air after his mother's hometown in Maryland. Aww. Jacob Davis was also an abolitionist and worked with Reverend Truman, Jacob Hetherington, the man we'll talk about today, and a man named Captain Fink to free the runaway enslaved, a.k.a. they worked the Underground Railroad. Wow, that's cool. Jacob Hetherington migrated to the Ohio River Valley from England in 1832. At seven years old, he was put to work, 2,400 wow. feet underground in a deep coal mine. Holy shit. And he worked 16 to 18 hours a day. And he never went to school a day in his life. And he grew from a small child in the mines to an entrepreneur, businessman that owned all of the coal mines in the Ohio Valley. Hell yeah. Before he basically owned all of the Ohio Valley and became very wealthy, his parents had left him behind in Bel Air to work in the mines for a man named Captain Fink. Now remember, Captain Fink was in good faith, BFFs, with the town founder, Jacob Davis. Right. And Captain Fink sold Jacob Hetherington 14 and a half acres of land, and then he then bought 61 and a half acres from Paxton Wheeling. Mm-hmm. The day his parents left him, this young girl named Eliza Armstrong saw a shooting star, or what she thought was just a star falling from the sky, aka the sky was falling. <laughs> Not Chicken Little. Chicken Little. Not having much knowledge of the sky, she began to look for where the star fell, where it hit Earth, and it led her right to the Davis farm. And remember, the Davis family owns the town. And when she arrived, she asked the Davis family, specifically Mrs. Davis, if they had seen a falling star. Aww. But Mrs. Davis told her that seeing one of these was a really bad omen and that she immediately needed to get on her knees and pray oh my god but eliza was mesmerized by the situation and she continued her search she walked miles and miles to where she thought the star had fallen and she ended up on that land that jacob hetherington had purchased Ooh. and she met who would be her future husband <gasps> jacob how cute. So his parents left him. Yeah. They bring him over from England and they're like, you're working at seven years old. We're they then go. leave him. And the day they leave him, this girl sees a shooting star and takes her right to his property. And that's, they meet. That's fate. I know. The two then together built their own coal empire. And at first, Jacob was mining by himself on his property, just wheeling out his coal down to the river barges. Jacob and Eliza had 10 children. And as he did as a child, his sons worked at a very young age. 
But as his business and money grew, he took in a partner, a mule, that would pull the coal wagon down to the river for him. And this created his coal firm that became known as Jake and his mule Jack. And it's actually like a, a like a nursery rhyme. It's like Jake, Jack and his mule. And that's really? where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's just a northern thing. I never heard of it, but I, when I was researching it, I guess that's it's a really, really popular nursery cool. rhyme. The duo, a man and his mule, went from a few bushels of coal a day to thousands. And he created this empire owning and operating coal mine after coal mine, employing thousands of people. He built his house, the Bel Air house that we're talking about today, up on top of coal mine number one, his first coal mine. Aww. And this location is pretty eerie in itself. Oh, okay, never mind. Like I said before, it is nothing short of an area with tragic history. The property hosted the French and Indian War and the native massacres by the hands of the French soldiers was large and tragic. The blood that stains the grounds of the area or the property of where he built his house is still seeping into that soil today. Like it is... It was one of the most gruesome massacres. Chills all over my body. It was also built in the vicinity of the sacred Shawnee Native American burial caves. Wow. This area is still known as the Native American interment area, and it's where the indigenous who lived in this area used to bury their leaders, their chiefs, their shamans, healers, and doctors in these caves. Wow. And the house is directly in between these caves, so the caves sit behind the house, then there's a house, and then there's the Ohio Valley River on top of the bloodshed from the French and Indian War. And these cave systems led to the river, so like right underneath the house. Mm-hmm. And people believe that this has created a huge energy portal right below their feet. Physics and psychics have proved that water is a portal because physics, it's always moving, and that magnetic pull of the water creates this powerhouse of energy. Yep. And the psychics say that spirits are able to cut through that earthbound gravity gain energy to kind of pull like back and forth between their dimension to our dimension right through the water portal and this again this water giant water portal is right below the house but above the house is even more special prior to pollution and coal mines this area had the perfect view of the night sky Mm -hmm. and it's probably why eliza was able to see that shooting star so clearly on a clear night today if you look up outside the front door of the house you can clearly see the planetary alignment of mars saturn mercury venus and jupiter along with other constellations oh my god and this alignment is the perfect planetary alignment to manifest human desire or tap into celestial beings. Wow. AKA probably a portal to aliens. So we got a portal in the water. No wonder. And then it's we got such, a portal to the aliens. Right. No wonder it's such a sacred. Well, ground. that's what I that's what I'm just about yeah. to get into. So it makes sense that this site was so special and sacred to the natives because of the energy and the manifestations that could be performed there. Right. And the Bel Air house is also sitting on a ley line that was built on one of the alignments of ancient monuments and prehistoric sites. So I've discussed ley lines before, but probably very quickly, and they could probably be an episode within itself. I would love a ley But for those episode. who don't know, ley lines are straight alignments that are drawn between, like, various historic structures or prominent landmarks. So, like, the pyramids to Stonehenge, like, things like that. Right. And they go from one point of the globe to the other point of the globe. Right. Like, there, and there's, it's not there's like... There's tons of them. Yeah. But this house sits directly on top of a fucking ley line. And it is believed that ley lines indicate paths of positive energy inherent within the earth meaning probably another fucking portal that's supercharged with energy and again makes sense as to why this area was so sacred to the natives as it probably provided such a large energy source that they could do this direct connection to their great 
great spirit yeah, to the afterlife yeah. and uh they're high they're higher up they're shamans Crazy. I mean, that, that shit's like sacred yeah. sacred so far we have numerous reasons as to why this house would experience a paranormal today number one a ley line number two the ohio river's constant flow of water number three the french and indian war grounds number four sacred native land rituals number five the underground railroad number six the burial caves and number seven the planetary alignment yeah but what follows places with such energy is tragedy. The Bel Air house was also the site of a fatal and tragic coal mining accident in 1893 that claimed over 42 lives. No. There was an explosion at coal mine number one where the fire could not be put out. No. After exhausting all attempts of search and rescue safely, bodies were still to this day never recovered. And the scariest part is that the Bel Air house sits on top of coal mine number one. Yeah, that's what I was This thinking. was a Hetherington coal mine owned and operated by the house owner, Jacob Hetherington. It was his first coal mine. And in March of 1893, the coal mine was abandoned. When Jacob Hetherington died, natural causes, old age, I think around 90. It's not listed, but I did see one where it's somewhere 90. Um, the coal mine company was left to his son, Alex Hetherington, and his sister or his daughter, Lyde, assisted him in running it. But shortly after Jacob's death, Alex started hearing and seeing things that were not there, and the business started to plummet due to it. He began to have epileptic seizures and would tell his family that, quote, demons were trying to kill him. Back then, people believed he was haunted and cursed because of the coal mine explosion, but with what we know of the house today, it's a good chance that Alex was probably possessed by energies that then took over his mind, his body, and his spirit. Yep. Alex Hetherington was found incompetent and locked up in the Athens Asylum for the Insane. No. Leaving the company to his sister, Lyde. I think, I think Liddy Lyde, it's L-Y-D-E. Liddy Lyde. Liddy? It's it a really like, cool name. It looks like Lyde. I know. I like Liddy. Yeah. Liddy. Um, the house was inherited by Edwin Hetherington, another son. So Alex got the company, Edwin got the house, and mm -hmm. lied the daughter, because, I mean, this is in like, early 1900s. Women right. didn't get shit, but she just was like they got assisting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She got married somewhere. Um, so the house was inherited by another son named Edwin. Almost immediately, there was tragedy. When a child, a daughter of one of Edwin's servants, Mary, was lured out of the window of the attic fell out of it and died the child was believed to contain this powerful bloodline that an entity in the house needed her dead to grow stronger and therefore lured her into the attic oh my god i have chills my forehead yeah and we would later learn that this exact scenario happened two more times no another child was lured to the window opened it and jumped but survived and when the house became open for paranormal investigations in the future, a male investigator was like in a trance and lured to the window to jump. What the no. fuck? Edwin had lived there with his sister Lyde, who at the time was running his dad's company because Alex was incompetent or Andrew. What was his name? Alex. Alex. Sorry. Lyde, the sister, unexpectedly dropped dead in the home's front room due to a heart attack in 1947. Oh, no. And Edwin was not really ready to let go of his sister because he had just came back from the military. He had missed so much of family time. Right. He wanted to spend, he loved his sister. Right. Um, he wasn't ready to let this go. So he turned into practicing seances. Oh, shit. And he knew the history of this house and he knew he had a good chance to communicate to the unalive. And he believed that whatever entity or entity took that little girl that drew her to the attic, 
that resided in his household is strong enough to aid him in communication with his deceased sister. Please don't. So they began to work together. No. In doing so, Edwin invited many people into his home to help make contact with Lyde because he wasn't really well versed in the occult or practicing seance. I know. He invited mediums, investigators from all over the country. And he was distraught, but he was also obsessed with the idea of connecting to his sister. Okay. At the same time, he was fascinated with the afterlife and he began to study the occult and the art of communicating through different mediums. He made attempt after attempt, probably bringing about some unwanted spirits to the property, yeah. I would say, including one spirit that disguised itself as a little girl and still does to this day named Emily, who many believe is the girl from the attack, but is actually the demonic spirit disguised, which is probably how she was drawn out the yeah, window that, because it yeah. was already projected like, as a little girl to her. Right. And she's too powerful. Right. When Edwin dove into the occult, he was not properly trained on how to close portals or channels of communication that were open. You know, you're always supposed to say goodbye, say goodbye. when you're on the Ouija board. Um, this house was eventually abandoned and passed from one family to the next after being ran out due to the activity in the home. The Belair house began gaining its sinister reputation while abandoned and ran through for many years. But neighbors and other people were just like, oh, they... Yeah, we'd see figures in the house, but people are just playing pranks on us. Right, like it's not and real. many blame this activity on just like trespassers. And it remained like this for years until it became into the possession of a woman named Kristen Lee, the current owner. And Kristen or Kirsten, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Kristen, um, quickly realized that this wasn't the work of pranksters or neighboring children. Um, not long after moving in, Kristen and her family were just plagued with bad luck, deep and dark feelings, and violent paranormal activity. Kristen experienced being held down on her bed by like a force above Holy her. Shit. One night she watched as her family dog was lifted into the air and thrown against the wall. That's where I draw the line. And that's where we're calling quits. And that's where I'm out of the house. Another night, she was laying on the couch when this gray apparition, like, walked towards her and then just, like, leaned, like, its top body over top, like, top of its body, like, like over top of her. and, like, cuffed yeah, her. Like, just, like. Not cuffed. Was... Like, just, like, hovering yeah. over top of her. <clears throat> and she asked to it, who are you? Like, yeah. what do you want? And it just, like, stood straight back up. It turned and it slowly walked away. Okay. Kristen was at her last straw, but getting away from the house was not as easy as simply moving out. First, and I think this is kind of fucked up, Kristen, if you're listening to this. Kristen. First, she tried renting it to families, hoping for the best, hoping for like the tenants that are like not like. Kristen? Like the tenants that don't know anything. The skeptics. Um, but tenants never stayed more than a few months before breaking the lease. Yeah. And one story says that one renting family had such bad luck, frightening encounters, and experienced over six deaths within their family while living in the house. Like, I'm not saying the deaths were in the house, but, like, family members. members. Six of them had died Whoa, while they were renting in the house. Fucked. And no one had stayed more than a couple of months. Right. Um, sorry. After years of stress, Kristen tried to get rid of the house by offering it to the town for $1. No, literally. Hoping to get rid of an, a mansion. Like, this yeah. is a gorgeous house. No telling what she bought it one for. One of the mortgage, like, get rid of the mortgage, get rid of all of it. But yeah. no one wanted it, not even the town, for $1. 
the stories about the house were just too well known in the community at the time and people were like it's unsafe to live in yeah like, it's but not- like the town totally could have taken it and just marked it as a landmark and right especially because it has such history with the with the town of the town and the coal i mean all of everything that that area is just coal mines and so like no one has to be in it just buy it for a buck and then you know yeah it's and honestly buy it for a buck and make your buck out of it because people will go there turn it into like a haunted thing right um so anyway after that, after she was denied to sell it for a dollar, um, Kristen decided to open the house for investigation and research. Good and since then, the house has been open to paranormal investigators. There have been tons of violent incidents and even physical assaults that have occurred within the house. Dear God. I found this article on Akron Beacon Journal, and it's written by um, Hannah Calais, sorry, Callier. Um, and it's titled, I'd Stayed in One of Ohio's Most Haunted Homes. Here's what happened that night and after and i just want to tell you guys about it just a little bit i'm not reading it word for word i'm just telling you about it um so hannah and her three friends did this cross-country road trip and they stopped at like all these paranormal sites along the way one of which included the bel-air house in bel-air ohio they arrived around midnight and i think they were scheduled to actually get in at eight but like you know how road trips go right it's midnight you gotta stop and pee midnight's midnight get a few more target trips in that's how mine and morgan's go dollar tree maybe dollar tree definitely more snacks yeah definitely nerds clusters gotta pee you know you know the whole world. you know how it goes if you're on a road trip and you don't get nerd clusters then you're living it's not called a road trip if you're not enjoying the trip you right. know, and like, if you're not enjoying a, a honey bun, what yeah, is, what is it <laughs> grande iced honey bun. If you're not getting a grande iced honey bun, then that's not a road trip. <laughs> then that's not a road trip. So anyway, Hannah and her friends had arrived around midnight, and once they arrived, the van was like unable to make it up the driveway. So it was like kind of like a a curve from the main road, but it's really steep hill. Yeah, and so three of her friends they decided they'll stay in the van and they'll drive around the block because they just needed to hit the driveway at like a different angle right. than what they were in. Like, to get up it. Uh-huh. And Hannah was like, okay, I'll go hit the keypad in and get into the house okay. alone. Um, so Hannah? it took three seconds of Hannah standing outside the house alone before she started to hear sounds. And disclaimer, Hannah is like, she loves the paranormal sightings, but she is a huge skeptic. But okay. she's skeptical. She's skeptical. Waiting, she's just waiting for that one moment that makes her believe. Mm-hmm. So she's standing outside and she can hear the house just like, creaking and like the plumbing like just rattling like any old house what any old house sounds like yeah like you could feel it in your heart i'm you sure know? it's echoing not to mention the fact yeah. that there's like 15 fucking portals yeah even as a skeptical person this was that was raised in an old house in michigan this still covered her body in goosebumps but she stood outside waiting for the van to return thinking oh, this is fucking stupid this like so i don't believe stupid. this like it's just an old house you know trying to convince herself so once her friends had made up the hill in the van up the driveway a friend had leaned out of the window and yelled did you see the light in the window and hannah hadn't seen it because she was up close to the front door like right. she's not going to see anything above her so she backed up like 20 feet and she saw that in one of the bedrooms there was just a single light on not like a lantern or a candle it was just like like a lamp i guess it was uh-huh. a lamp and she said that it was like just glaring like it was so foggy out that night it was just like the light was just like streaming through the fog like it just looked lighthouse. like like the eye of the house like that's yeah. what it looked like to her and regardless of how spooky it looked she still said well the owner probably left it on they, she knew we were coming we paid 500 dollars for tonight like i hope she would leave some lights on Please. and i hope she'd make it look spooky yeah like i paid a lot of money here she, like christine or what's her name Kristen. Kristen's out there with Turn the, the smoke fog machine, machine on like, let's get it rolling she's like got her little remotes out there yeah exactly 
So regardless of how spooky it looked, she was like, it She's didn't cross her push mind. It off, yeah. Right. Before continuing, it's important to mention that Kristen has some serious house rules. No drugs or alcohol before or during the stay. Great. You have to bring your own pillows and blankets. Smart. No Ouija boards. Absolutely. Kristen. Kristen. Let's go, I girl. I fuck with you, girl. No urns. No mirrors. Fair. No minor rites. No rituals of any kind. Yep. And no opening or closing portals and underneath it says no exceptions exclamation points the house is currently set up for like paranormal enthusiasts though so it has like the seance room set up which was kind of i would be like okay like that's a tease like no seances but like you have it set up for me so like what if we sit here and we role play a seance right we don't actually actually want to do it and we just like fake it you know um, so she has a seance room. She has the like a whole room bedroom filled with like dolls with like scary red eyes Ugh. and a piano room and then the attic, which is said to be most haunted. Yeah. And the friend group went on and they followed the rules. Granted, they probably thought it was a huge tease and they were probably genuinely pissed off. <laughs> um, there was no extreme paranormal sightings that took them that took place, just like your minor creaks on the floorboards and doors. It was a little unsettling, a little eerie, but they played it off as just the house settling into I mean, granted, also, I'm sure the house does creak. Because if you had a coal mine underneath you that exploded, your house, that land is still settling for the next 100 years. And the house should probably be torn down. The house should probably not be able to go in there. No. It's going to go through the floor. Right, exactly. So (laughs) Hannah left this trip or this stop on her road trip still as a skeptic until a couple days later. Oh, shit. They were on their journey back when she felt a pain in her side and quickly came down with a heavy fever. She went straight to the emergency room and straight into surgery. She had kidney stones, not just kidney stones, like your generic kidney stones. Kidney stones that led to a severe infection that led to a case of sepsis. Holy fuck. Yeah. She recovered quickly and is not so much as skeptical as she was before the Bel Air house, but they, I mean, they do say it brings an unfortunate amount of bad luck. Right. Anyway, that's the end of Hannah's story. Crazy. Between 2008 and 2012, Kristen conducted researches with a team of paranormal investigators where she was actually able to communicate with Edwin. Oh, Edwin. Yeah. Who claims that he unknowingly, like he admitted to unknowingly opening all sorts of portals inside the Belair house. Oh, shit. Paranormal investigators and psychics believe that there is a total of 17 open portals on the property. (gasps) 17 yeah she also stumbled upon a few like commitment papers that stated the reason why alex was sent to the mental asylum the reason was the failure of his business in the papers it was written that alex quote lost the use of his manners and became non-compos mentis which just means like not of sound mind or mentally incapable of like managing affairs what would the fuck was that word non-compos post mentis that sounds like super califragilistic i've I've never even i've never even come to contact with that word before i don't even know how you would if i if it was me having to read i would say will you tell me what this word is yeah i don't know what it's oh my god i mean it's probably not how it sounds um they also read in the articles that alex would like like he was just like hallucinating or like it was just really disoriented that he would be on the Ohio river thinking that he was like on this boat headed towards wellsburg west virginia um but really he was on the railroad tracks oh honey yeah 
Um, and he was also unable, unable to identify who he was. And they also came across Collegis's, um advice to send Alex to the mental asylum. And the commitment paper stated that the business relations worried Alex. And that's what troubled this like domestic relationship between him and the business and himself. And upon further research, they found that Alex was suffering from partial paralysis of his body which made him like stammer around what yeah by the time the symptoms had subsided other brain problems had surfaced and they think that's the cause of like the hallucinations or he's possessed right and it was i will say it was this probate judge his name is judge isaac gaston who ordered him to be sent to athens asylum for the insane in athens ohio today at the belair house you'll come across mysterious shadows unexplained footsteps people have captured pictures of like things in the window like it's one of those houses and poltergeist activity and a lot of people argue that it's right up there with like the amityville house and the conjuring house the bel-air house is under took like, i fully believe like, that it's up there and it's almost so bad that they don't even want to talk about it. right yeah exactly some believe that the haunting is so extreme that it reaches beyond the house into like the buildings nearby and like, i would believe it past the property the house has been featured on numerous shows and the current owner, Kristen, has written her own book about the Bel Air house titled Paranormal Confessions, True Stories of Hauntings, Possession, and Horror from the Bel Air house by Kristen Lee. And I also saw that one of the owners, or sorry, one of the, not ancestors, but like great, great grandsons, I guess, who's mm -hmm. still alive at Hetherington. His name's Jack, Jake. What was the original one's name? Jacob. Jake. Yeah, yeah, they call him Jake. Jake Hetherington, he's still alive today. He, I guess, reenacted his family's history and is currently creating a movie. I will watch the fuck out of that. Yeah. And I want to read that book. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I that would be a book I would not sit down. Yeah. But I don't know that I would read it in my home and I don't know that I would ever read it at night. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much at play there, dude. In addition to the spiritual haunted side of it, like talking if we were skepticals, okay? Right. Skepticals. skeptical if we were skepticals okay so let's say it's not haunted all right and that if we listen to like the physics breakdown of it there's a magnetic shift da -da 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 -da. also there's a lot of mines literally the home is built on top of oh, the mine right where there was an explosion right okay now and these mines use the cave systems of a super magnetic burial, right. sacred burial ground exactly so how likely would it be that there's some sort of toxin right in the ground in the home in the water that could have led to hallucinations hallucinations and the symptoms that edwin right um, alex alex went was to experiencing the insane asylum yeah. you know i mean for him to have that many physical and, symptoms and lid lied lydia lydia heart attack lady heart attack just drops I mean, she's probably like 35 i had a guess and then hallucinating like all of and, that and all of the servants were like she that little girl that went to the attic like that's their story like they were like she's from a very strong bloodline and the demon wanted her blood and like right. she needed to die for that demon to grow stronger in the right. house and that's weird no and th that's like where you have to like draw the line physically of where it's paranormal versus scientific because the fact that she did it first and then there's three to four yeah that are proven right and then there's other people that have the urge to go up there that probably aren't as publicized like right. there's got there's more to that so if you're a skeptical in this there's that but then also if you're skeptical i give you the fact that there probably is some something right that 
And I will say, I do want to say that like I'm skeptical in like some. Me I too. think every location that I cover, like there's some where I'm like, oh, please. That's horseshit. Yeah. Like that's horseshit. But like this one, dude. This one, I believe. I believe. Like I it's, believe. it's there. Like it's, that's crazy. And I actually, so if you guys don't know this, I, well, I'm sure you do because I already mentioned it. But I'm like probably 30, 30 minutes from this city, town, Wheeling, West Virginia. But in Bel Air, Ohio is like, Wheeling, West Virginia is like a Memphis, Arkansas situation. Mm-hmm. It's just like the river separates West Virginia and Ohio. Yep. And um, Aaron, when I was telling him about this, he was like, oh, I've been there. Oh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, sorry what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And when he used to play cup soccer, he had a friend that lived in Bel Air. And he said that his friend just lived like a couple houses down and that they would like go there at night. I'm like, fuck around out there. What? I'm like, did you Kristen said- know? I was like, yeah, did Kristen know? <laughs> I was like, maybe it was just didn't he remember kids. anything? Like, no, he was just like, I mean, it was creepy, but like, we were just like walk. We didn't, we didn't go into it. We just walked by it, you know. And like, everyone does know the story of the Bel Air. House. I would like to drive by it. Yeah, I would like to see it. I don't want to go in it. I don't want to associate myself with that energy. I would like to go see it. That's how you know that I like full heartedly believe something is. I'm not even gonna act like I want to go see it. Yeah. I mean, be in it. I want to see. And I also it. think Hannah's story, when she went there and the van wasn't making it up, I was thinking yeah. when I first read that, I was like, "Oh, technical difficulties, mm-hmm. like with the engine, like it's just fucking with the energy." And right. then she was like, "We just had to hit it at a different curve." I was like, oh, "Okay," but also I'm like, maybe it so was that they were messing with the engine. Well, I mean, I think that that's fully believable that mm-hmm. it, there was. I mean, we've some had so, other force. so many creepy accounts where spirits will cars. shut down cars yeah i mean they i don't like cars every i swear to god daily i think about the girl that she was in the car with her pregnant sister and they were going across this like bridge, bridge. in this area and she had this vision that they were going to get in a horrific car accident and yep. she just stopped and started freaking out i think of that creepy account every single day i'm not even joking yeah anyway, damn that's my case god i think it's one of my like i i by the way the sister reached out to us in of, something of that story? from that story and i don't know that we ever responded i feel like i just like saw it when when i was looking for something and it was when we were on a break yeah. that it came up to me and so i i was like oh i gotta come back to this i can't forget it but if you i i know for a fact that you messaged us somehow i don't know if it was dm i don't know if there's a comment i don't know if, if it was an email yeah, but i definitely didn't but see please it. message us again because we have like a hundred messages from where we took that one fucking break like dumb dicks we should have just pushed through it because now we're fucked but um there's so many messages that we missed so if there if you haven't got like a response from one even if it says red because i tried to like go through and do read all so we could get rid of those notifications and then i was going to go through and find it and that didn't fucking work out either so i know i was trying well we both were trying to answer and it is funny because i'll be like i'll respond to someone i'm like oh they sent that in november (laughs) yeah i'm like how did we get this far out of like i'll go through a whole entire page of responding and then it refreshes and there's a whole nother page i'm like oh Oh my god and you don't even like know where you start i like whenever we have over 100 requested dms in yeah instagram and i morgan goes from like the most recent i go from like the furthest back up so we're like working to meet in the middle and it's like so many i'm like how do we even get here i'll filter unread un responded Wait, yeah how's it go unread unresponded i yeah. think the second filter is and it just never ends it just it just goes and goes and it's goes. a lot and i wish that instagram would sort like when people just react to a story like with an emoji yeah. verse from a dm like because i just feel like or respond to a story a lot of them are just like hard 
lips or like right. clapping hands or and like, like I love getting those. They really boost my I ego. Do too. Don't stop. I but. love them too, but yeah, it's just but like for the people that send us like questions or like comments yeah, on something that I want to get back to. And you can't search keywords. Like no. if I'm like, I remember this girl DM'd us about this book called We Skull. used to be able to. What happened? So you could just go and search the word lamp. You know? Right. Like and Or I would remember like the girl's last name or the girl's first name or the guy's first and name. You can't or do that shit anymore. You can't and once do you it. once you see something, it's gone. I'm yeah, sorry. it's disappeared into the oblivion. Sorry, what were you saying in the middle of that when I cut you off? I don't know. I think we were just kind of chit chatting. Yeah, we were saying the same thing about searching words. Skull oh yeah. Lamp. Yeah um good. but anyways guys uh we're, we're gonna let you go now check out our youtube we'll have a <gasps> oh yeah we're back on youtube we'll have oh yeah we are but we're also gonna have a taste oh. testing video yes we've got an awesome taste testing video i'm it's not funny. i we don't know drunk, when i'm so gonna drop it i think next either this weekend or next week we'll drop it because i know so you good. you won't be able to hold on to those clips it'll be up soon. i know but i'm so tired of spamming them on instagram and i'm so sorry about spamming y'all with posts but we procrastinated the last two posts for the love it hate it and the episode from last week and i just posted them everyone's like i thought i had Monday. a new episode <laughs> we're yeah. like so sorry but yeah we are back on youtube but they don't release until like you know one to four days after this one didn't get one to ten. <laughs> this one didn't get up until one to four months Monday. after they'll be up. I'm just but kidding. actually, procrastination pulse. I was done editing it on Wednesday of last week. I just totally forgot about it. I haven't done it in months now. Yeah, it's just not on the back burner. Okay, right, love it's you. On the back burner. Love you. Bye. Bye.